Hello, hello, hello. So it's Christmas time. Happy Christmas, everyone. Grant Elliott, Daniel McCarty, and the Ben Francis with you. Uh, I think I said this last year. I couldn't think of anything better. Notice I've changed the word there. Anything better than spending Christmas with you, Grant? Oh, Daniel, I tell you what. Not only Christmas, but the whole year has just been an absolute pleasure. And having Ben Francis with the steering wheel teaching me and holding me close to his, his team, the Warriors. Um, and I'm expecting a Warriors shirt under the Christmas tree from him oh, today. Let's, let's not open shirt or wounds. this year. Can we not open shirt wounds to well, start the Christmas Day show? We shouldn't. Warriors and shirts yeah. are probably not a great way to start the show. But it has been amazing. Um, I've, I've enjoyed great moments. I've learned a lot. And to listen from a lot of our, um, our special guests on the show, especially our legends, has been um, Something which I hold close to my heart. Yeah, speaking of legends, we'll hear from a number of them throughout the duration of this uh, hour-long broadcast. Our highlights from that uh, wonderful segment. We sp spoke to sporting legends up and down the New Zealand sporting landscape. Uh, but this is starting way too nice. This is, we, we, we don't get along, do we? We don't normally get along, Ben Francis. This is all too, you know, lovey-dovey. Cr Christmas is in the air. It's got to us. Yeah, it's got a bit of a, a weird feeling to it, doesn't it? Just trying to be all you know, up nice and talk nice things about each other. So I think uh, it's probably not going to take long before things change. <laughs> be honest, Ben, and this might be very dangerous of me. Tell the audience what it's like to work with us. Uh, are, we, are we, you know, painful um, talent? And you don't have to answer that. Yeah. Well, we don't I, send any demanding messages late on a Friday <laughs> night or anything. I, I, you guys are like, it's like having a girlfriend, you know, you have moments that you absolutely love. And then there's moments where you absolutely <laughs> just sink your hands into your head and you're thinking, is there any way I can get out of this? <laughs> are we heading for divorce or are we okay? Oh, well, at the moment, you're in the good books because uh, it's Christmas. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully yeah. after a couple of weeks away from each other, we might realize that we actually do love each other. So then we'll, we'll come yeah. back together in 2023. Well, hopefully I'm not uh, opening a, Christmas, a delayed Christmas card with a divorce letter in it. <laughs> right. well, well, I think we work well together. Um, I mean, you guys gang up on me. And just absolutely, get a violin going here, please. You throw shade on me yeah. <laughs> throughout the year. I'm surprised I've made it through, <laughs> with, you know, intact, psychologically intact. And SENZ really need to uh, look at employing a psychologist to just help me through this a lot of the time. Well, um, in fairness, you have helped us out um, from time to time. Um, do you remember this? And I think there you do the F bomb. Does that make sense? That was directed at um, Louis, wasn't it? When he was the breakfast. Yeah, when he was throwing us, shade on me. Yeah, is Snake and Grant Elliott. I can, can you see, see the shirt that Grant Elliott's wearing? <laughs> it looks like toothpaste. It looks like he's wearing toothpaste on his body. <laughs> he's, he's like, can we can we put Grant on very quickly? Can we get Grant? To... Surely Grant, someone bought that shirt for Grant. Hey, Jav, is that a toothpaste themed shirt or? Listen, you. F Yep. Good morning to me. We'll be dumping that one and heading to the break. <laughs> well, I hope you've learned that when the red light is on, uh, it means we're on. Well, there is no red light, and I just hear you in there's the background. There's a red light there. There's a red light there. <laughs> hey, you a, still haven't learned that. There's a, in the background, I hear you going, 
We're alive. We're on air. It's like, thanks, mate. It just absolutely burnt me. But fortunately, I did learn something new that day, that we run sort of 20 seconds ahead, so we can dump something every now and then. Yeah. But that was your your main faux pas. I think you, you got through otherwise unscathed. Oh, I wouldn't say that. I'm pretty sure there would have been at least 10 issues during the year that you can throw shade on me. And I'm sure Ben Francis has got them lined up at some stage. Oh, maybe. Maybe not. We don't know. We don't know. Christmas, what does it mean to you and your family, Ben? What's the Ben Francis Christmas look like once we finish this? Well, this year we're heading down to Taupo. Probably be spend a bit of time with my partner's family. So we'll see. I don't, no idea how long I'm going to be down there for. So we'll just wait and see. We'll go with the flow. Uh, the nice thing about going down there is everything's not too far away from everything else. And especially on Boxing Day, because, you know, everyone loves going to the shops on Boxing Day. And people down in Topol are like, this is so busy. It's so busy out on a Boxing Day. But for us people that live in the wider Auckland area, it's actually like a normal day. Nice. Nice. I think, I don't know about you, Daniel McCarty and Ben Francis, but for me, it's just going to be two weeks of ham. Ham sandwiches. Oh, yes. Dice up the ham as well. We actually keep packets of the ham and then put it in soup. So you have it on eggs, you know, your, your eggs, Benny. Um, like, it, it, the ham I'm goes... I'm getting emotional, Grant. The we, ham... we are kindred <laughs> spirits. We really are. It goes a long oh. way, doesn't it? Do you get the eight kilogram ham? What sort of ham do you get? No, Daniel? I get the eight kilogram ham around my own waist, <laughs> waistline because, like a pig in expletive, <laughs> you just can't get enough ham at this time of year. Do you baste it? Who does the basting? Well, I leave that to the experts. Yeah, which is not me. Yeah, I think I've done one ham and about ten percent into it. I basically hand over the keys to the car to the boss. Great call. Yeah, um, I'm with the in-laws. I'm pretty sure they won't be listening to this. Um, my first in-laws Christmas in a long time. Anything could happen. <laughs> Bring it on, I say. I can't wait for it. What about you? So just, just ham. Well, well, ham. It's ham, barbecue, lots of nice fresh salads, veg. I did ask for Yorkshire pud. That got turned down. But Yorkshire then, pud? Yeah, I love what? a Yorkshire pudding with gravy on it. Get the... A pudding with gravy? I don't think I've ever had a Yorkshire pudding. Haven't you? No. Oh, we've got to have it the next Christmas. We'll invite the McCarty's over and we'll share Christmas ham and Yorkshire pudding. Roast potatoes. That's the key. You've got to get a nice crispy roast potato on the outside, but fluffy on the inside. That is a real key to the meal, I find, with the gravy. Oh. What about chilli? No. No chilli? No chilli? No chilli? No. That's that's, uh, foreshadowing what is to come later in the program. Uh, Grant and I... Um, went through a chili eating competition uh, earlier this uh, year. I was going to say season, um, but no, earlier this year. And you trumped me in that as well. Wow, it's to be expected now, isn't it? <laughs> I don't think Ben had any doubt who would win that one, right, Ben? No doubt whatsoever, Daniel. N- no doubt whatsoever. Oh, here we go. Oh, mate, look at look at my midriff, mate. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't I mean had, you're I've a had, good chili eater. I've had way more experience eating everything than you, son. <laughs> There's no two ways about that. Uh, you mentioned it at the top. I've absolutely loved catching up with our sporting legends throughout the year. It's been a real highlight. Week in, week out, we've caught up with uh, athletes, coaches, not only to talk about their individual careers, but to talk about certain seasons of, of certain teams. We even um, you know, got granular, spoke about certain games, famous games, legendary games. It really was um, 
a really enjoyable uh, six-month project. A lot of hard work went into it. Big thanks to Ben Francis for getting a, a cavalcade of stars. But I must admit, we, got, we had some doozy stories, didn't we, Grant? Oh, there's been some great, some doozy stories, some goodies. Um, I do recall you even, you know, not really insulting, I guess, but just getting a few things wrong every now and then. Such as? Well, I remember Mornay Morkel. You called him Mor- uh, oh, yes. Mornal. You called him Mornal. And that's become his name now on the show. He loves it. He, but he, you, know, you know what's fascinating about our guests is that most of the guests that have been on the show have actually gone on to do great things. You know, I think of Jeetan Patel and um, uh, Jonathan Trott became the coach of Afghanistan. So, I mean, this is an opportunity for anyone that wants success in their career. Yeah. Get on the show and things will happen. Yeah, so if Ben Francis ever reaches out to you and asks you to join this program, you should do it because only good things will happen. Jeetan Patel, suddenly spin bowling coach for England. England. Amazing, amazing stuff. But the Legends series, how about we play some of our favourite bits? Oh. I, I, I want to talk about former All Black skipper uh, Stu Wilson up the top. Uh, wonderful yarn about his whole career, but we drilled down into that um, you know historic 1981 series against the Springboks, Alan Houston kicking a penalty, what, 10 minutes after the 80-minute mark uh, to snatch a dramatic series victory. Um, do you think he went on and celebrated that night? Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, but <laughs> fair to say his calendar was reasonably full this weekend. Have a listen to this on, on Stu Wilson and that uh, epic weekend he had in 1981. Look, I tell you, there's a lovely moment, guys. Uh, you know, in 81, when we won the third test against South Africa, and it was a great series, even though there was a, bit of, there was a lot of trouble off the field. You couldn't have written a better script for a three-test series. We won the first mm. test. They won the second. We go to Eden Park and winner takes all. So we, 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 we got a win up there, and we had a big night. Uh, the following day, on the Sunday, um, Wellington played Manor 2 for the National Provincial Championship. It's quite the next day? <laughs> yeah, the oh. next day on the Sunday. Wow. So the four, four to five, well, the four to five Manor 2 boys, um, they got a private plane and flew back to, to Palmerston, right? Frank Oliver, Doug Wilson, Jeff Yeah, They were quite serious about this game. The four Wellingtonians who played against the the Springboks on the Saturday, Mexted, Wilson, Fraser and Houston, just had a quiet little night in Auckland (laughs) and woke (laughs) up and thought, right, let's catch a plane and let's go down to Wellington and we'll take Manawa 2 on at Athletic Park this afternoon at 2.30 and give it a crack. Well, when we walked in, we were running a bit late, the plane was late. We walked into the shed and this was a special moment for me and, and the boys because we were hungover, right? There's no doubt that because we'd had a good series win against the box. So at the top of the stairs, if you understand what happens in the dungeons of Wellington, you go down the stairs into the dressing room, into a, oh. into a cave. And Ian Upston, our coach, met us upstairs and he, each gave, he gave us, each of the four boys, a packet of, of, of chewing gum. And he said, for Christ's sake, you stink like a brewery. Get this in your mouth and go down. The boys are waiting for you. So he opened the door and we were coming down the stairs into the room and all the other guys in the Wellington team were changing, getting ready for the game. And they all stood and they clapped us as we were coming down the stairs. They knew all knew we were a bit bit lazy and a bit hungover. But they had witnessed the day before, they'd watched it on the telly and they'd seen us uh, keep New Zealand history books alive with a good win against the box and they acknowledged it with a standing ovation you know special moment small moment not not probably meant for a lot of people but for the four of us we thought 
Jesus, we're not going to let these boys down today. We can't let them down. So we got into our Wellington jerseys 24 hours later after the string box, and we rolled out, and we ran out onto Athletic Park, and I looked up, and the Millard stand was full. I thought, shit, there's 43,000 people here today. Mm-hmm. Crikey dicks. Half of Manawatu had come down Wellington, because this was the provincial championship final. And we, we battled away again. Murray played outstanding. Booty scored a try. Huey kicked goals, and I played like a donkey. But we managed to win. Managed to win. And we won the provincial championship. But you see, the thing is that then we're in a group of guys from the capital who were then wanted to party on Sunday night because we had won the, we had won the champs. So out we went again. We did two in a row. And then I rolled into a company I was working for on the church on Monday morning, a little bit slightly hangover, with two huge big games of rugby, followed by two huge big parties, obviously, because Wellington just went off that night. And I get up there, I'm going up in the cafeteria, and I'm standing beside Daphne, the payroll officer for Thomas Borthwick's and Sons. And I said, and who knows nothing about rugby, she turned and looked at me and said, hello, Stu. I said, hello, Daphne. She said, how was your weekend? <laughs> how was my weekend? There was a bit of blood just running down the side of my face. You know, I, I was unshaven. Oh, I had a amazing. few bruises. I stunk like a brewery. And I said, oh, not bad, but, but quite deaf. Mowed the lawns on Saturday and just read the papers on Sunday. How was your weekend? <laughs> that is Two fabulous. big games. That is fabulous. And that's what, and, Ma, and Ma Nonu came out to me one year later, many years later, and said, Stu, the story is that you boys played two games in a row. You know, like, you know, all black test match one day and then played for Wellington on the Sunday. And I said, yeah, that's right. And he said, Jim, man, I can't even play two. I'm not even allowed to play two games of rugby for the All Blacks. Sometimes he plays so well, he gets rested. <laughs> and he just oh, couldn't I... get his head around that. But I said, but that was the days of, of when I was playing now, not, not when you're playing now. It's just different. The one, the only Mr. Stu Wilson, former All Black skipper and outside back. Definitely. Daphne. I don't know who Daphne is, but I love Daphne. Well, we need to find out who Daphne was. <laughs> Busy weekend, Stu. <laughs> yeah, it was actually. It's fantastic, isn't it? <laughs> those were the days, eh, Grant? Those were the days. Bring them back. Bring back those days. Well, drink responsibly. <laughs> I think you've got to say that, don't you? Yeah, but it's more about the sport, isn't it, Daniel? Yeah. We celebrate sports in this channel, and you can always hear that from our legends. You hear the passion in their voice, and... The one thing that I always think, the one constant of all those legends was they were absolutely passionate about the sports. So true. And even in their, their older age, when they'd finished, they were still passionate about it. They just loved it. They loved Hard work. Too. Yeah. Hard work. Yeah. You can't get away from it. There is no, you know, magic bullet. No silver bullet. It's hard work. Yeah. And all of those youngsters that, that listen in or parents, that's the secret recipe. Hard work and passion. We had some uh, wonderful times with our uh, legends pulling back the curtains, telling us uh, some wonderful stories. Uh, do you remember Kevin Campion? Hard man from the Warriors. <laughs> Emotional day. I, I think Ben Francis cried uh, during the whole interview because he loves Kevin Campion that much. That's probably fair, Ben, right? Yeah, I would I'd definitely be in that category. If I was to create a team of my top Warriors team, like combine all the players from over the years, he'd definitely be in there. Well, he told us uh, about the grand final that he played uh, in for the Warriors. Um, and he told us this great yarn about what happened at half time. This is fantastic. At half time, do you recollect what the, the score was? Because I, I've read up on what happened at half time, and I want to know if there's any truth in this. So, the coach, Daniel Anderson, who was named Coach of the Year after that, that season, 
He attempted to inspire the team by playing a mock commentary of the Warriors scoring the greatest try ever. And it says that you picked up the tape recorder, smashed it on the ground, and gave the team an inspired speech instead. Why is there any truth in that? Oh, look. Yeah, there's a lot of truth in that. But, you know, I, I found out um, later on that it wasn't Daniel's idea. It was um, it was a senior management idea that they that they do that. And it just... It just backfired. It backfired to me anyway, you know. And it's it's sad that um, you know I, I talk about Ivan Cleary had played professional football for 12 years, never been in a grand final. His first grand final had to, and that was a halftime speech. You know, you you. you mm. um, it's certainly something Wayne Bennett would never have done. But you know, I think um, <laughs> I think, I think um, Daniel probably um, you know probably regrets playing that. Um, Playing that tape because it, yeah, it sort of backfired. But anyway, it was you know it was, we were still in the game and, um, just after halftime, and but um, you know we we started playing a bit. We we just didn't get back in the grind after halftime, and um, yeah, they got a, they got a bit of a roll on, scored a couple of tries, and and got away with a win. I think you're being really nice here, Kevin. What a <laughs> stupid idea that is. Did it, did it even, <laughs> I'm sorry, did, what did a the, stupid idea that did is. Did the tape even get to the point of scoring the <laughs> yeah, try or did you smash it mid-commentary? Yeah, yeah, did Kevin Campion score this like, magic try? No, no, I, I think um, Clinton Tooby might have scored the try or even uh, Ivan, Ivan might have scored the try. So you had some blokes in there celebrating the try. Yeah, which yeah. is just unbelievable. It, so that's when, I, that's when I threw the tape recorder. <laughs> and let me guess, that imaginary try still wasn't as good as Stacey Jones's try in the grand final. I bet you. Oh, mate, I good, bet you. Oh, no way, no way in the world. It was a cracker <laughs> try, mate. Yeah, it went through, went through 13 sets of hands. Uh, <laughs> oh, fantastic. I love that yarn. <laughs> it's fantastic, isn't it? What we spoke about was uh, we did we did talk to him about Trying to get that uh, recording. The recording. Someone must, must have that have recording, and then we can play it to him. We'll get him on the show again and play it to him and see if he remembers it. Well, he might go all incredible Hulk on us. I love and that. Reach down the <laughs> telephone line and and physically harm us. I love that it was a tape recorder as well. I mean, they've gone to great depths to get that recording, haven't they? They have. Oh, management, absolute could you, blunder. Could you imagine the look he was giving? <laughs> just getting angry, <gasps> just steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> Players looking at him going, can you do something about this? <laughs> oh, dear, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, fake commentary at halftime. <laughs> no, wagging the finger, no. Paul Eiffel, the, you know, arguably the best recruit the Wellington Phoenix have had, a good friend of the program. Uh, we had a long chat to him about his, uh, you know, really interesting, fascinating career. You always go down interesting rabbit holes with Paul Eiffel. Yeah. That's fine. He's a great little storyteller. Uh, you know, had a, had a fabulous time in Wellington. Although, uh, he told us this great story about how it actually was very close to not being Wellington where he was supposed to end up. Have a listen to this. They'd, they picked up Chris Greenacre on that on that tour, basically. And I'd, I'd read in the paper that Chris, I didn't know Chris at the time, knew of him, knew he was a decent centre forward, who, who, who plied his trade sort of in the lower league, scored a lot of goals. And he'd done this story and I read the story, you know, it was off to Wellington Phoenix, blah, blah, blah. And that was, that was kind of the end of it. My contract was running, running out of Palace. They'd offered me another deal, but I, I just didn't want to play at Palace any longer. I'd had enough and, and my body was kind of breaking down. So 
I was in the middle of doing rehab and I, and, and I was in the gym and, and Nick Carl, who had formerly been yes. at Newcastle Jets, was also a player there. And he said, what are you doing next year? And I said, oh, I'm, I'm looking to try and go to America if possible. I need a league that plays less games. And I think that would suit my, this, my sort of style of play. And he said, have you thought about going to Australia? And I said, oh, no, it sounds a little bit too far for me. And he said, look, I think you'd really enjoy it. You know, completely different weather. You play one game a week. Um, You'd be really good over there. So I said, oh, look, if if you want to speak to an agent, then get him to call me. So next day, the agent calls me, Tony Rallis, who who still does a bit in in the league. And he says, what do you want to do? I said, oh, look, if you can get me something, then then let me know. This is is what I'm on. Um, I'm not not really looking for the money, but if you can get me something around that, then, then call. So then he goes away, he gives me, I don't hear anything for a week or two. Then he gives me a call and says, look, I've got you a deal with the Central Coast Mariners. I said, okay, where's Central Coast? He's like, oh, not, not far from Sydney. Far um, from he, said, I'll, he said, I'll send you, send you some pictures of the, of the ground. So he sends me these pictures of the ground and, and obviously Central Coast Mariners Stadium is quite nice. Palm trees in the background. You can see the beach, you can see the sea. I'm like, oh, so I'll show my, show my missus. Well, she's my wife now, but at the time my girlfriend I said, have a look at this. I said they're they're gonna they're gonna pay me. I think I think it was like four hundred thousand, four hundred thousand Aussie per year. And I said we get to play here. <laughs> like oh, all right, let's let's do it. So I I ring the agent back. Said yeah, let's let's go. I'm, I'm in. I was gonna sign as a marquee. It was it was it was all done. We let the family know, let the friends know. We had a we had a party at home to see us off. Everything was done. Flights booked a lot. The day I'm leaving, I get a phone call from Tony. Oh, the deal's off. I'm like, Tony, I said, the deal can't be off. I said, I've packed all my stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm just about to go to the airport tomorrow. What do you mean? He says, um, he says uh, Central Coast Mariners are part-owned by Sheffield United. And I'd previously played at Sheffield United. I said, yeah. And he said, well, one of the directors at Central Coast has rang one of the directors at Sheffield United and asked about Paul Eiffel that we're just about to sign. And they said, don't sign him. He's injury-prone, liable to go missing during the season. <laughs> so that was it. Deal, deal scuppered. So I've had to unpack everything, go home. And the worst part of it was where I lived and I could see the Crystal Palace training ground from where I live. So I'd just been released by Crystal Palace. I'd get up in the morning. I could hear my teammates and see my teammates training and I had nowhere to train. So I'd go across to the park on my own and just train away, waiting for clubs. So I'd got an agent in England trying to sort out different clubs for me. Nothing was really sticking. I had a few offers that I didn't fancy. Then I got a phone call again back from um, the same agent. Do you fancy going to the A-League at the Wellington Phoenix. I said, where's where's Wellington? I said, it's, it's New Zealand. And I said, oh, what's that like? He's like, oh, just like Australia. I said, oh, <laughs> sounds good to me. So I spoke to my missus about it. We, we had a look, looked on the map, not too far from Australia, must be similar weather, blah, blah, blah. So I said to her, look, let's just, let's just go for a year. And I said, if I, if I do well, I can get a, get a transfer to an Australian club. If, if I don't, We'll, we'll come back to England. Let's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? We're going to go anyway. So we agreed to a deal. It was less than I would have been on at, um, at Central Coast. It wasn't as a marquee, um, but they, I think they threw in some accommodation um, and some bonus, some goal bonuses, and, and blah blah blah. So before I left, I checked on the uh, I checked on the TAB to see the odds, and we were we were the favourites to be last. <laughs> and I thought, oh my god, what what am I going into here? So f- fly into fly into Wellington as you as you do, you fly in, and 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 the rain's coming in sideways, and the planes are all over the place, and and I land, and it's horrific. Tony Pinata picks me up at the airport, and I'm like, Tony, is, is the weather always like this? And he said, Well, you've come in the middle of winter. I said, Well, yeah, but my agent told me it was just like Australia, <laughs> and he just started laughing, Tony. 
So he, he takes me to, to Terry's old building um, and I go in there and I've got a place to stay. And within about half an hour, there's a knock at the door and it's Greeny. Chris Greenacre lives next door to me. Like I said, never met him, but knew of him. He comes in, just starts chatting to me. He said, look, you'll love it here. Great boys. And I said, oh, but the, everybody's saying we'll finish bottom. He said, no, there's no chance we'll we'll finish bottom. Like, this is a really good bunch. We'll be under underestimated, but we'll, we'll be okay. And, and that was yeah. a really nice touch from him. You know, like I said, didn't really know him, but he came in and, and instantly I thought, oh, you know, this is this is a good club. This must be a good club. You've got a guy reaching out straight away. Obviously, there's something going on here. So went into training, trained awfully, as I as I always did at that time. Um, the boys remind me of that all the time. They thought, what have we signed here? Got a little better over, over the weeks. And then once the season started and, and the games came, then I sort of hit the ground running and Amazing. felt part of it. And, and like I said, we had a really good bunch and, and went on to do some pretty cool things. You've got the wind, the rain, and the phoenix, and Paul Eiffel, eventually. <laughs> I'm not sure he even took a breath during that, that chat. That's fabulous, isn't it? I love the, well, it's close to Australia. It'll be similar weather. And then you turn up in Wellington. But he became, he became an integral part of that team, that phoenix team. Um, I saw him recently in the airport. And, he's still here. Love yeah, that. He still looks fit and ready to go, and... Yeah, I mean, they, they built a really a, a great um, culture within that team. And I think it was centred around, you know, Paul Eiffel was one of the senior players there. Just lots of energy, and you can just hear the passion in his voice about the sport. Didn't matter where he was going to play, he just wanted to play football. Indeed. One of the things I've absolutely loved about our legend segment is the payoff. And what I mean by that is when someone has spent 15, 20 years, however long it is, preparing themselves for that one shot at glory, the, the big moment. Um, and always what stands out for me is those uh, events from four-year cycles because you've got to get it right. On the day, if not, you're waiting four years. Um, and Moss Burmester, you know, one of our uh, most successful ever swimmers, uh, was kind enough to, to join us. Uh, and he relived um, his uh, efforts at Olympic Games. This is a guy who... Had won world championships, short course world championships. Had you know won gold um, at I think it was Melbourne in two thousand and six. But uh, he specifically uh, talked about a rather memorable uh, Olympic Games campaign in two thousand and eight. Two thousand eight's a really big one for you, isn't it? Um, you have great success at the, the short course world championship. You win gold in Manchester in the two hundred meter fly. I think silver in, um, two years earlier at the same event, but. The Olympics, the 200 yeah. meter butterfly final, um, one Michael Phelps wins it um, with a world record. You take another two seconds in, from 2006 through to 2008, you take another two seconds off. 154, you finish fourth. How often have you replayed that race over in your mind? Uh, a huge amount. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, it's really interesting. It took me a very long time to analyze and come to grips for that race. And I absolutely hate it, hate the result. Um, yeah. it still works me today and the reason is is not so much that I fin it was finishing fourth again it was this mindset thing right I was going in to win silver or better I was going in to challenge Michael and and do well and as I said I, I leading up to it 2007 um, Jan Cameron um, at the time so I changed coaches from Clive Howard shifted to Auckland and was training under um, Thomas Sansorg and Jan Cameron and Jan Cameron extremely well connected and respected globally around the world in the swim coaching and she had organized with Bob Bowman and Michael Phelps and um, to go and join them at a training well, actually they invited me to give Michael some competition and training so I went over to 
um, the US Olympic Training Center in Colorado and it's at altitude there. And we stayed there, you know, like lived on campus there and trained for three weeks at altitude. And we would do the sessions we were doing and it was, wasn't just Mike or me, there was also, I think, I remember in the squad, I think there was five Olympic, individual Olympic gold medalists and just wow. training. There were about 25 swimmers there. And, and and that's just the golds, you know, like there were there was some phenomenal Peter Vanderke and you know a bunch of American swimmers that people wouldn't necessarily know of. Yeah. And and other coaches too, John Ubinchek and people like that. And it was an incredible environment. And we had three weeks, three weeks and we went three, three, one, three, three, one, like that. So we did three swim sessions of an hour and a half um, for the day. Next day we did the same and then we'd do one session and that would be our sort of recovery day. And we repeated that for three weeks. And, and every second Man. day we were doing gym sessions and dry land and stuff. So massive, massive training week. And I got to know Michael reasonably well there and, um, you know, and each other. And so based off the back of that, then I had world champs where I, you know, won the gold. And again, it was an interesting race. So I knew the Polish boy and the Japanese boy were going to be sizing each other up. I purposely, it was a risk, but I purposely qualified on the outside lane. And again, I knew they would struggle to see me. And I put down using in my natural speed to get a lead and, easily won that race which was really cool and that gave me a lot of again a lot of confidence going into the olympics and i and i thought you know this is i'm silver or better here you know i'm really going to challenge for it and unfortunately i got what mahi drydesdale had where i had the, a belly a tummy bug and i was couldn't eat couldn't keep food down it was you know yeah. on the toilet all the time and um the, the interesting thing was and i think and i'm not judging mahi for the way he approached it i didn't make it public i decided not to and i think of very different circumstances though you know mahi had all this pressure and this expectation from the public whereas yeah there was some of that on me but not to his degree um but my so i thought though if i acknowledge that i'm sick i'm giving myself a way out you know like i'm sitting there and saying hey i'm not at my best um therefore i'm not going to potentially race my best therefore what does that mean for the result? And so I decided to kind of go, yeah, I'm sick, but it doesn't matter. I'm going to push through that. And what can I still do? You know? And so I kept it quiet, kept it under wraps. But unfortunately, as I said, you know, like I was second at the 150 turn right up there with Michael. A lot of people don't watch that um, the underwater piece of it too. I really hammered the turn. I've been working my underwaters a huge, huge amount because um, that's really important in the turn of fly. And I broke out, you know, again, right there with, with Michael. And in the last sort of 25, 30 metres, I really died over that last. Now, it's hard to know, did I go out too quick or did I just not have the energy because I was sick? And that's the yeah. bit that I hate about yeah. the result is actually I don't know what I could have been capable of. Yeah. I knew I could have gone better if I hadn't been. Would that have been a medal? Would that have been, you know, challenging Michael and, you know, I've played it back in my head because he won eight golds and I was thinking, you know, it's kind of the David and Goliath thing, you know, like I would have been known as the one that stopped Michael from having a record-breaking eight medals, you know, and all those sorts of scenarios play through your head and yeah, I absolutely hate, hate that outcome still to this day and it took me a very, very long time to realise though, like analysing, normally we watch our races straight afterwards and I couldn't watch that race for six months. I, wow. you know, to analyze it, it I just couldn't, I just physically couldn't take it. And, but um, I, I realized um, there was actually probably my greatest races and I put everything on the line, you know, the build up is incredible. And I, and the reason I knew I put everything on the line is um, I qualified in the outside lane, Michael was lane four, so he, he can choose which side of the pool to exit the pool from. 
um, and he decided to come out my way. And the media um, corner, or the way you get funneled down through the media, you know, to do the interviews and stuff, was actually on the opposite side of the. Then I got out, but Michael came the long way round. And I remember I got out of the pool, and I was the last one to get out, even though I was right on the side there. And I was sort of trying not to show it, but my legs were absolutely gone. I could hardly walk. Like I was absolutely spent, and I was felt like I was going to collapse. And I remember I walked really, really slow and it was, and Michael caught up to me. And of course, Michael, you know, I see we've been training together, got to know each other. And of course I congratulated Michael. I said, great race, Michael. And I shook his hand, but it looked like I got out of the pool and I waited for him. And then and later on, everyone said, you know, the, those who were watching the camera and the TV said, oh, you know, it was really nice of you to stand there and wait for Michael to congratulate him. <laughs> so <laughs> I then, can't move. I, mean, I, I, I can't move. Would have. <laughs> But I was actually, the truth was I could hardly walk. I could hardly move. And I was, lactate acid levels were so high that I was just gone. And uh, and, that, and that's why when I realised when I look at later, actually, it was probably my greatest race as in terms of um, result for where I was at with the sickness. And, and in fact, I could hardly walk, I hardly move. But uh, I still, to this day, absolutely hate that result. You would, wouldn't you, Grant? Finishing fourth in Olympic Games, as I mentioned, you worked your whole le- whole life really in that sport for this moment, Phil top of your game, in the weeks leading up. Then you get crook, and of course you're um, also swimming against arguably the greatest ever swimmer. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, the legends that we have on the show, we've spoken to many gold medalists on the show as well, and you you listen to the pain and the anguish and the dedication and the sacrifices that they make for, you know, four years leading up to an event. And I think, you know, I had respect for Olympic athletes before I started the show, but now when you hear the build-up and the sacrifices that they make, and I understand what sacrifice is like in professional sport, but, wow, the Olympic athletes, they really do put their bodies through the paces and, yeah, some special moments. But, you know, all these moments are there to to help grow us as, as people and you understand why they're so, so special like after their sporting life as well. We covered a cross-section of sports, didn't we, throughout our legend segments, not just Olympic sports, traditional sports, some of those lesser-known sports that don't have uh, great visibility, I, I guess, day in, day out. Uh, we caught up with the wonderful Melissa Moon, who's been an extraordinary athlete uh, for uh, you know most of her life, won countless New Zealand athletics titles, uh, but won World Mountain Running Championships, of course, uh, amongst other things um she joined us uh for a a wonderful chat where she not only talked about some of her achievements uh, but then became a live reporter on SENZ <laughs> during it in 2007 mm. yeah, that... you were part of the blue planet run relay team um where mm. it was a 95 day run around the world 95 day run and it was for awareness yes. of the lack of safe drinking water now you went through five yes. pairs of shoes um, yep. And you covered 25,000 kilometers, not yourself, I guess, because yep. you did one of the legs. But the leg you did, mm-hmm. it sounded like you got a raw deal. You went, <laughs> you went through the Gobi <laughs> Desert um, in yeah. Mongolia, 45 degrees heat, and you battled swarms of horseflies in Siberia. Oh, now, how did they yeah. choose that leg for you? <laughs> Someone doesn't like you. Oh, no, we, all have, we all kind of had to do it. So it was a relay of 20 runners. We we all uh, were divided into five teams of four. We ran for 24 hours um, each. It's complicated to, to describe, but we each had to suffer horse flies in Siberia. There was Each runner had to run partway through the Gobi Desert and the Dibada Desert at 45-degree heat. Um, we all came down with stomach bugs in China. 
it was a tough run, let me tell you. And um, it took me a year to recover. I mean, I is this you coming? This is you coming now. Sorry. Ooh. Oh, no, so commentator, commentator. Sure. Paint yeah. the picture okay. for us. Melissa yes, Moon, radio gonna... commentator. Add this to your bow. <laughs> well, she's on 20 minutes now. And I told her when she reaches this mark, she's got about 800 to go. So she's on for it. She could be on for a PB. Her PB, we did about five years ago. There was about 23 minutes 07 for 5K. She could get her PB. Go, Maria! Awesome stuff! Awesome! Six hundred to go! She's running very well. Around the corner. I can't hear that competitive spirit in your in your <laughs> voice there, on, Melissa. Twenty minutes thirty. Twenty minutes thirty. You could be getting a PB. Right, that's that done. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I I haven't seen that the other Sumner runner coming through yet. So it looks like we've won. Which is oh, there's brilliant. There's no, there, and there's no there's no horse flies to get in the way. So congratulations no, to no, you and your oh, team. Yeah, sorry. Oh. Yeah, getting back to the blue pin running, it took a year to recover from that run. I mean, it's, it was oh, wow. the only time it's ever been done, and it hasn't been repeated. And, <laughs> um, by, by the sounds, understandably so. That that yeah, sounds yeah, amazing. So we, we just chatted about earlier, a little bit earlier. I asked Grant how long do you think it would take him to run up the Empire State Building and 86 oh, floors right. and 1,576 yeah. stairs. Yeah. You did it, I think, in 13 minutes, 13, and then went back and... Shaved oh, about no. another 40 yeah, yeah, yeah. seconds off your time. I think you were like 12 minutes, 30 I seconds. I'm not sure I could actually yes. walk all of them without stopping. Like, like explain it's, the physiology of running yeah. up 86 floors at the Empire State Building in New York. Oh, it, it is pure pain. It, now, that is a real, <laughs> uh, real discipline, if you call that a discipline. Um, <laughs> it re- really requires your head, your, your mental toughness. Because then Grant would understand this being a cricketer and the, the, the lactic acid that you get. You know, you must get lactic acid build up when you're going from wicket to wicket, no doubt, that fast pace. Um, well, the lactic acid hits you in about floor five of the Empire State. And you know you've got 80 floors to climb and your body is starting to fill up oh. some lactic acid because you've got to go two stairs at a time and it's fast and furious. And it's at that point, floor five, that your mind is telling your body to stop because of the pain and the lactic build-up and the breathing because you must remember you're in a stairwell, which not a lot of oxygen, it's eerie, all you can hear is heavy breathing, so it's a real mental exercise. And I just I had, uh, um, prior to that, 12 minutes, 39 or 38 I did, I had really mapped out how mentally I was going to race that race. And I knew at four or five I was going to feel like absolutely shocking. But you just got to push yourself through to the next couple of floors and then you know you can get yourself into a bit of a rhythm. And it's basically it's just pure pain the whole way. It's the hardest thing I've ever, ever done. It's like lactic build-up for 12 minutes, you know, and you're breathing. But the sense, you know, the harder the pain, the harder it hurts when you finish. It's this greater sense of satisfaction. Well, you know, that's how I look at it. Um, and yeah, to finish on top of the world's most iconic building, seeing the skyline of New York, it's something as you know that you you think, well, how many people get to do that? And and 
Yeah, that's. I, I love that aspect of it too. You know, this this most iconic building, the most iconic building in the world. All the movies are done on the Empire, and so you know, it's 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 such a yeah, as I said, iconic building. So it, yeah, that's how I kind of finished my career off was racing up the world's tallest buildings, believe it or not. Incredible stuff, Melissa Moan, uh, joining us there. Uh, that's SENZ's athletics reporter, uh, Melissa Moon, <laughs> former world mountain running champ. I'm looking Run forward... 95 straight days across deserts, madness, and went up the um, Empire State Building in a ridiculous time, which led us, Grant, down the path of asking another challenge of you, my friend. Yeah, and I'm, I'm up for all of these challenges. I am, Daniel. Really? I mean, no, I am, definitely. Um, that one doesn't sound... Too bad, except for the lactic acid build-up and the fact that I just pulled a hammy on Monday. Um, coaching, pulled a hammy? Coaching the under-sevens. <laughs> sitting at a desk all day, and then suddenly the first football that came to me, I kicked it, and I went, oh, no, the, the hammy's gone. So I will, I'll nurse that hammy, and we need to find out the date of that fireman's challenge, because I think from memory... November, I think it is. It's in November, yeah, yeah. early November. Uh, we have seen Grant a number of challenges throughout the year, haven't we, Ben? Um, and inspired by Melissa going up the Empire State to build, and Grant stupidly agreed almost immediately after that interview. Yeah, he will uh, join the Fireman Challenge up Sky Tower, um, where he's got to have a full load of equipment, which I think weighs around 20, 25 Ks. I love stair runs. And he's got to go up the stairs. What, what, what else have we got um, set for Grant, Allen, Grant Elliott's challenges? I'm looking forward... To the much anticipated and much delayed SENZ Width Championship between uh, one Beaver Donald and Superman Grant Elliott, the eerie javelin through water. Beaver's definitely in a speedo as well, I reckon. Yeah. He does. He's a speedo, whereas I'm baggy shorts. Oh right, yeah. Like you're off for a surf in Cape Town or something. Well, look, look at my body. I don't need to be aerodynamic. <laughs> Put the shorts on, although I can act as a parachute on this frame. Maybe we glad wrap you up. <laughs> glad wrap. How good. What we should we only do, need one roll. <laughs> could we not get those illegal speedos? You know the ones that actually gave you a little bit more flotation. <laughs> Just to hide the hair as well. We don't don't want the hair. Full body trim. Uh Ben Francis, what other uh challenges are we expecting Grant Elliott to actually get through? next year well the, well the hard thing is that we've actually set him too many challenges and i don't think he's actually fronted so i i'm a bit disheartened because he he set the bar he said yeah i'll give all this a go and he, he hasn't done anything no you're right he hasn't done the single skulls uh, on wellington harbour during a, a strong <laughs> southerly you haven't yeah. done that yet you, you haven't even done eric murray's challenged you to what two thousand meter row two thousand meter that. erg i desperately want you to try and recreate his one hour on on Erg, where he rode just under 19k. There is the, no way uh, I'm doing Olympic an hour. Champion had joined us also for a legend <laughs> segment. Amazing. I'm not doing an hour on Erg. Uh, I said to him during the show, I said, "There's no way I'm doing an hour on the Erg." So he set me the challenge of 2,000 meters, and I'm prepared to do that. Listen, I'm happy to to fly to Queenstown to Codrona to do the ski jump challenge into the inflatable wall. Um, I think I'll nail that one as well, and. Um, there's, speaking of snow um, and a challenge, unlike getting Sean White on the program. Isn't that right, Ben Francis? He talked a big game about getting the flying, I forget what vegetable or fruit he is now. He was the flying tomato, but I called him the flying <laughs> carrot, which is why he never replied to my messages. 
Oh, it was comp- very, very frustrating, right? You know, we gave, we even gave you three months. We gave you a set deadline, and you, you came on air. You said, "Don't worry, guys. I promise. I promise to get him on I the did. show." I, he did promise. He did I did. Promise. And I'm going to apologise to my listeners. You know, I'm going to give it another go this year. And I tell you what, I'm going to tick those challenges off one by one. And the fireman challenge, I'm going to prime myself for that lactic acid buildup. You heard Melissa Moon. She said, you know what it's like as a cricketer, Grant. <laughs> That's Which might have been the, the nicest thing anyone has ever said about the fitness of a cricketer. <laughs> ever. And we are fit. We're fit. Absolutely. Speaking of fitness, they're going to need to be fit with Christmas in Karachi as it's happening. Yeah, I can't wait to, uh, to bring you, um, you know, live ball-by-ball commentary of New Zealand up against Pakistan. It starts tomorrow, Boxing Day. A Boxing Day test. There's a little uh, uh, promotion for the station. But you are with the Saturday Sessions Christmas Special. Where are we going next? Because my screen has just closed down on me. That's really handy. Uh, Ben Francis has done a wonderful job putting this together. He might have to um, edit this bit out. There it is. I'll just bring it up again. Right, here it is. I found it. So just edit this bit out. One of the things I'm most proud of, Grant and Ben, and I think both of you will agree with me on this, calling out the biggest problem in New Zealand sport. The one issue that clearly hovers above them all as far as are things that are weighing down the credibility of New Zealand sport. The All Blacks coach. No, not the All Blacks coach. <laughs> we did take a few calls on that. You did. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about here? Um, it's a wasteland. It's a disgrace. Grassroots sport. No. Ben, any idea what I'm talking about here? Not off the tip of my tongue. The Warriors. No, not the Warriors. <laughs> Watch it. Clearly the big, the clearly the biggest issue in New Zealand sport. Nicknames. Oh no! Don't even get me started. Nicknames in New Zealand sport. Pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. You can't just throw a Y at the end of someone's name, and that's a nickname. You know, Frenchie, Smithy. So we've got the Hairy Jav. Yeah, the, we've got that's Snake, cool. and we've got the Munnet. Yeah, there you go. There's three decent nicknames. The Munnet. Explain that one again, Grant. Well, it's a uh, man bun uh, mullet. It's a Munnet. That's what Ben Francis rocks every weekend. That's what we look at on our screens, and it's inspiring. Yeah. But the general state of New Zealand nicknames is dreadful. And we need to take stock. There should be a royal inquiry into this. Yeah. I and d- we need answers. We, we need solutions. My Lord, the hair has just come out of the hair tie. God, <laughs> it looks like Axel Rose back in the day in his plomp. Oh. I'm getting distracted. But we did find one man. We did find one man who has not one, but two magnificent nicknames. You remember who I'm talking about? I do. Blair Murphy. West Coast, rugby stalwart. And, and, and that he surprised us with his, his nicknames because this became a thing. We kept asking people, well, do you have a nickname? The be- and the best nickname in New Zealand sport we were in, the, in search of, um, we've certainly found a, fin- a finalist, haven't we? We have. Here's Blair Murphy talking about his nicknames. Man after my own heart, Blair. Now, I'm going to get this out of the way early. Um, I've been really disappointed with nicknames in New Zealand. Surely you had a nickname. You played for so many years. Uh, rich history. You must have had a little uh, nickname from your mates. Um, well, yeah, the, the Undertaker. 
Meatloaf. Oh, 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 oh. That's a good nickname. Now we're talking. Give us the backstory, The Undertaker. Oh, because I, yeah, I had the, we used to have long hair. That would come in Scotland, actually. We went to play um, Fun of the Borders over there. Um, I had long hair, yeah. Um, so that's where that came from. Another one was Cuddles, back from the Nelson Bay show. Gavin Briggs. Uh, um, he, he named me that one. Blair, I, ha- I have to I have to interject here. You could not get two more di- uh, diametrically opposed <laughs> nicknames. The Undertaker okay, and Cuddles. Cuddles. <laughs> like, seriously. <laughs> are you a man of sort of uh, many talents that, that on the field, oh, the dark arts? So you get you must get white line fever. Well, you must oh, have sort of, got white line fever in your yeah. playing days. Oh, yeah, I scored a few, few, um, few five-pointers or four-pointers back in the day, yeah. Yes, <laughs> and, and sent a few people, what, to the recovery room? Also, oh, the yeah, nickname yeah. like the Undertaker. Yeah, I have been to Wellington on a few um, traditional trips, if that's what you mean. And yeah, I had a cross the area there a few times. Missed out on the Red Bull. Uh, you're Shield. proud. Never got, never got to play that because I got the um, red carded in the club final for Marist. And Nelson, the elbow to the captain of Nelson Bay's stood his eye, and then everybody took me to the tissue, and I missed out on the bloody Red Bull Shield. I got it. Oh, so it was a bit like when Paul, Paul Carrozza, you might remember, viciously nose-butted Richard Lowe's forearm. Uh, was it a case of uh, the player viciously eye-butted your elbow? Pretty much, I think that was it. But yeah. We won, the, we won the championship the first time, I think it was 21 years. Samaritan spent over the line up there in Nelson, 98 or something, so it was well worth it, actually. Oh, that was, uh, that was The Undertaker. Uh, Meatloaf was another one of his nicknames. And Cuddles, of course. <laughs> Blair Murphy. From the West Coast. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Uh, we love player. You're so, you're so right, though. What did you say? Diametrically opposed nicknames. The Undertaker and Cuddles. <laughs> it was like, depending on what day you got him in the yeah. scrum, it was like, good luck. <laughs> good luck. Um, and good luck to New Zealand Sport. Um, that's your challenge. Lift your game with regards to nicknames. Be more like Blair. Yeah. What would Blair do? <laughs> that, that, should be, that should be your line. That should be your line of thinking. Uh, Grant Elliott, uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. The great lengths we go to uh, entertaining people. Um, the great lengths we go to uh, discovering sports that we know absolutely nothing about, but the New Zealand public need to know about. We got we got big into chili eating last year, didn't we? Well, we, we, we had a couple of chats about this. We did, and then it was sort of forced upon us as well. Well, we uh, received a package. We received an ominous warning from Ben Francis mm-hmm. a couple of you know weeks out, going. Be afraid, be very afraid uh, of what's coming. Um, we, w- we were baffled. Um, and then we arrived and there was an envelope with uh, two types of chilli, including yeah. the Carolina Reaper, the hottest chilli in all of the world. So Grant and I um, tried to tiptoe around it, but eventually um, gave it a whirl. Carolina Reaper. I think there's one in that little package I sent down, but I think I just heard what? Grant might be allergic to chili, so keep it away from us. What? What? <laughs> well, is that yeah, what this package is? Oh, we've, we've got okay, a happy yeah, birthday. We, we, we had a package from Ben. Surprise, I was just... Oh, happy birthday, Grant Ellie. You get to have a Carolina Reaper chili. I was just winding oh, uh, Ben up in the, in the break because I saw the word chili on it. Oh, my Look word. That. It looks angry. Do, do all chilies look this angry, Clint? Because this is an angry look. Nothing like chili for 
your birthday cake. I, that, that's the first time where I haven't drawn the short straw, though. I got the the, oh, the, the milder chili. The old conspiracy theorist. No, but I, I like how you stepped up to the plate. You were like, you know what? I'll take the Carolina Reaper. And it was good to see you in a lot of pain. You were in a lot of pain. But you went back for more. You took a, one nibble, and then you went for another one, and you couldn't finish the show, really. No, I did, I did, I did struggle after that, fair to say. Um, I, you could have asked me anything, and I would have told, told you the truth after eating that Carolina uh, Reaper. Uh, Mornay Morkel. Or, what, Mornal? Mornal. Mornal, as you call him. Mornal. Yeah. We had the great, giant South African fast bowler on the program. Uh, you and him go a long way back, don't you? We do, yeah. You yeah. do go a long way back. And, of course, you're a proud New Zealander, have been for a very, very long time. Supported the All Blacks since I arrived on the shores in 2003. Uh, Mornay, Mornal, doesn't believe you, though. He didn't. He does not believe you. He still thinks there's a South African deep in there somewhere. It hurts him that I support the All Blacks and yeah. that I have done for the last 19 years of my life. And he was, he was not willing to, to take your word for it. In fact, he was, he was demanding things of you. Have a listen to this. Morno, we've got two minutes. I want these nasty questions. I want, <laughs> I want a fiery, fast bowling spell towards Grant Elliott. Floor oh, no. is yours, Mr. Morkel. Yeah. Uh, we tried to get our lie detector test. Uh, we tried to get a lie detector kit, in fact, didn't we? Uh, bought by the bosses. But um, we're obviously not important enough. I think that maybe the listeners can contribute to this lie detector test. <laughs> maybe we should do a uh, a poll. Yeah. We're doing a, a Twitter poll. Yeah. Does Grant Elliott support the All Blacks or not? <laughs> a Christmas special. But, I mean, everyone knows I do. You can't, you can't live in New Zealand and not support the All Blacks. I mean, they've had a great year, haven't they? Apparently so. Well, they had a great year for talkback hosts. They were the big winners of, of the rugby season. Well, that's it. It's time to get all emotional. Um, thank you, Ben. Huge thanks to you, my friend. Uh, huge thanks to you, Grant. It's been great fun. I absolutely love getting up on a Saturday morning and running away from my kids. <laughs> and uh, coming into the studio to have three hours of fun uh, every Saturday. I really do appreciate it. Ben, thank you for carrying the heavy workload during the week as Grant and I apparently do have lives. Um, it's been wonderful and of course to the listeners absolutely love talking to you hope we talk more next year always give us a call um, and uh, we, we cherish your contribution to the show yeah I just I want to thank all the listeners out there Daniel absolutely amazing love working with you consummate professional and uh, thanks for keeping me grounded along with Ben Francis <laughs> the professionalism of both of you and uh, trying to teach me the way you know, put me under your wings but a very special Christmas to everyone, and uh, enjoy two weeks of ham, Daniel. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. And final word should go to the big boss man, the Munnet. Gentlemen, have a wonderful Christmas. Grant, I know you sent me a shirt, but I'm expecting a Christmas card with $120 in it. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. <laughs> still bitter about it. <laughs> yeah, still bitter. Oh. Well, at least he didn't give us the, what was it, the two-word answer day he gave on oh. that Saturday? Two words for, for a whole show. It was fantastic. No matter how much we pressed him, it was only two words. Brilliant stuff. In all sincerity, Ben, thank you for everything you've done for us. Um, goodbye, everyone. Uh, take care. Christmas well. Eat and be merry. Uh, and please uh, keep safe. Until next year, take it easy. And bring back some nicknames.